When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Today, we have Nike Anani. She is what is known as a succession specialist. So we are going to hear all about what that is today, because until today, I had not heard of that, but it is actually such an amazing idea, especially if anybody has been watching The Gilded Age on HBO Max, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like back in like, you know, like late 1800s of New York City and like people are building companies and building generational wealth. So I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to let her do it. So hi, Nikkei. Nice to meet you and nice Thank to you. see you on this uh, podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. So let's just start with the, the, the biggest question. What is a succession specialist? A succession specialist specializes in succession. <laughs> um, essentially, um, someone that helps families, individuals, corporations ensure that they build the capacity within them to ensure that it outlives the current groom or generation of leaders and building enterprises that would outlive the people that originated them. And I liken it to saying, I help folks to take their businesses from lifetime businesses to legacy businesses. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how did you get into this work? Tell us about your background and then we'll get into how you do it. 30 second version, five minutes, 30 minutes. Um, So I was born into a business family. I'm Nigerian of origin. I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria. My parents started off our first business the year I was born. So enterprise has been in my life my whole life, but I moved to the UK at age nine, myself, my mom, my brothers for our education. So I was quite far removed from the business. Dad stayed back in Lagos and continued to build it out. I started my career in accountancy um, in professional services at Deloitte and um, really great career path for someone that's not me and found it quite dull. And decided to take some time off and go back to Nigeria to learn more about the family business. By this point, um, it had evolved into three operating businesses. So we had a construction business, real estate business, and engineering consultancy. And also my dad had been doing a lot of investing. And I was like, okay, I'll just come home for a few months and go traveling to discover myself and then go do an MBA. And that's my life. And got back. And I ended up spending 10 years. I fell in love with enterprise and entrepreneurship and working in the family business and 
I pioneered the family office, manage all the investments that he'd been doing and also deal flow going forward. And I just found that it was a really exciting space in the sense that not only was it creating financial security for my family, but also it was just this meaningful work where you got to see the impact of entrepreneurship, investing on local communities. And that was really inspirational for me. And I guess that was the disconnect sitting in the city of London in an office and um, being away from all the action. And, but in trying to envision, okay, let this business outlive dad, myself and the kids, there were just no tips and tools on the ground in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, Lots of awareness building, lots of content here in the States, lots of communities and in the UK as well, but nothing back home in Lagos, Nigeria. And so I ended up self-teaching, training with Family Firm Institute here in Boston, on how to become a certified family wealth advisor, family business advisor, helping families navigate generational transition. And I did that for my family. And then realized that actually most businesses were family businesses. The stats said that 90% of indigenous businesses in Nigeria were family businesses, Mm -hmm. but only 2% of them would outlive their founders and started working with other successes and helping them with leadership consulting, helping them in building effective siblings teams, and also helping them with navigating, designing, and setting up family offices for their family wealth. And that's how I got into the space was very much, wasn't an opportunistic thing, very much my life journey. And I feel very much a submission um, driven business to democratize access to folks that have been underserved, um, people of color, women, you know, that haven't traditionally had access to the tools and the and to the information on how do you build generational wealth? How do you build generational businesses? Because quite often these tips, these tools are shared in old boys clubs informally over a drink where folks build social clubs, right? And they build deep trust with one another and they're navigating similar transitions. And they start asking each other questions. How did you do this? How did you deal with that? And unfortunately, like I said, certain groups have been outside of, you know, those circles and haven't had the opportunity to have access to that information. Yeah. Okay. So there's so much to unpack in that. And, but one thing I want to hit on And it's something like you said, it wasn't opportunistic for you. What's wrong with that if it was? I think there's nothing wrong with it being opportunistic. There's nothing wrong with profit. But I think when you're pioneering something, um, there has to be a deep commitment because it's legacy is not built overnight. Um, Building trust with people that, you know, having conversations essentially about money and implicitly about death. Mm -hmm. Two huge taboo topics where it's not just 12 steps to generational wealth freedom on Facebook and then you make your you make your revenue target, right? And so if one has a mindset of it being opportunistic and just solely about the bottom line within a certain period, you will lose sight of the wider impact one is making. So I liken my work to a bit of philanthropy, social impact, but obviously trying to make a profit, but not within 90 days, not with 90 day horizon, very much a long-term commitment to communities, like Mm -hmm. I said, that need generational wealth freedom 
Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you do it? Like, you know, and look, we do see these, you know, shows, we know people who have families with businesses. Some people just aren't interested in being part of the family business, you know, many are not. And so, I mean, is that impossible or is like, this is only going to work if somebody's interested in carrying this on? So I often say that as you're navigating a generational transition, it's important to recognize that you, it's like you're in a different dispensation. So how things were is not how things should be, but we often think how the past was is how we carry it in, into the future. Yeah. And quite frankly, um, today with the statistics, a lot of the next generation are not interested in working in the business. Oh, However... Right. Or work, yeah, all that. <laughs> However, it's important that they have the skills to work on the business and understand that they have, um, there's an element of we need to work on their leadership, we need to work on their stewardship, and we also need to work on their ownership. And being an owner of a family business comes with responsibility. It's not being an owner of Amazon stocks, right? Um, Because as an owner, you're making strategic investment decisions, strategic business decisions. You're thinking about culture. You're thinking about people. And you can do this from the sidelines whilst you've got your own business or your own nonprofit or you're working in your nine to five. And so a lot of my work is getting the founding generation to understand that, okay, fine. Johnny doesn't want to work in the business. It's not the end of the day. Actually, we really want to ensure that at the very least, Johnny has the skill set to be an owner of this business whilst we're looking at other options for who is next in line to lead in the business. So that can come from non-family staff, right? Quite often, we've got non-family staff that have been in the system that understand the institutional memory of the business and are can be well-equipped, might need some, you know, training and coaching to bring out the best in themselves but quite often they question this seems like I've got the wrong last name to be the CEO of this business right Mm -hmm. often feel overlooked so I think um, it's not the end of the world if folks don't want to work in the business but at the very least they must work on the business Oh, okay. Got it. So you're teaching them like how to just keep it going while being, while having somebody else like running it, et cetera. Indeed. Indeed. Which is leadership, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And it's not necessarily easier. <laughs> no, it's probably, yeah. It's, you know, it's like two full-time jobs, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And then, and so what kind of, are there specific businesses that you work on for this? Is there mm-hmm. a lane that you do and lane that you don't do or... Mm -hmm. Is it it applicable across different businesses? Honestly, it's applicable across different businesses. And, but the, the majority of businesses that I tend to serve are um, so think through businesses that have been set up 30 years ago by the founder now looking to navigate this generational transition to the next generation. And typically they're construction companies, manufacturing companies, um, healthcare, pharmaceutical, like heavy industry type of businesses. But honestly, the skill set and is industry agnostic is very much about leadership. It's very much about communication. It's very much about influence and persuasion. And all those industries that you just mentioned are very um, male heavy. They're not yeah. really, you know, and so here you are as the woman telling them how to like create and build it. Like talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think I've come to realize that 
the words we use for things really matter because it evokes emotions within us, right? And I've come to realize that using words like male-dominated isn't helpful because Mm -hmm. by the implication or the inference is that we don't belong in those spaces. And I think that's very wrong, right? Right. We belong in any space we want to be in, right? Um, And we choose whether we, we belong. But yeah, for sure, there tends to be a higher prevalence of men in these industries. Right. And a lot of the time, the next generation, the females just feel like that sphere is not for me. And mm-hmm. this is a conversation between dad and brothers and uncles and grandfathers. And it's me reorienting their mindset and saying, actually, it is for you. You've got a mindset. You've got a unique perspective that we need to bring out because diversity of thought is not just beneficial for you to see yourself become the best version of yourself and see your potential, but also for the benefit of the business as well. Because the more diverse we are, the greater the number of ideas we get and the quality of ideas we bring to the table. When we think about like the world that we're in right now with the industrial fourth industrial revolution, high levels of disruption, we need, um, we need diverse thinking and diverse mindsets. Yeah. No, no, it's good. It's a good perspective to be like, let's change the, you know, from male dominated to what did you just say? A lack of what did you say? Um, <laughs> industries that are more male prevalent, you know, <laughs> prevalent, yes. Well, because yeah. it is intimidating, you know, it can be intimidating yeah. when you walk in those rooms and you're the only other, you know, yeah. Much like if you were in a fashion business, I'm sure or something, uh, you know, women's magazine and you walked in and you were the only other, like, Indeed. It, you know, it can be, but yes, it doesn't mean that you can't be a part of it. Doesn't mean that you can't do it just because it is male prevalent. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. We got to change some of the narratives, right? For yeah, it. For sure. So what are the first steps and, and, you know, how do you find people to work with or how do they mm-hmm. find you? Like, how does, mm-hmm. how does that, the whole process begin? So usually one of two ways I've, like I said, I've got a community of business owners looking to build generational wealth um, and generational businesses. I'm a co-founder and it's usually folks within the community. We provide a lot of resources, educational resources, research and um, peer groups. Um, however, obviously it's general, right? So it's a group of, you know, like uh, 10 people on a Zoom and we're, we're facilitating training workshops and things, but it's not speaking specifically to Jennifer's industry, family and what have you. So typically when they need more um, bespoke attention and they reach out and um, ask for assistance. And like I mentioned, it's usually um, the next generation I work with. So mm-hmm. successes needing leadership skills with stepping into legacy. So perhaps they are on path to be successful, but feel they don't, they're not quite there yet because their parents are usually more intuitive in their ways of leading and not as data-driven. And um, they require more structured learning than what their parents are able to provide for them. And so that's the gap that I, I fill in. Um, It's usually through the community or through my podcast. So I'm a podcast host myself and my podcast is specifically for successes and family enterprises globally. And we talk through anything and everything that is in that sphere of how do you build legacy wealth, legacy business as, and your role specifically as a successor. So it's usually through one of those two paths that folks reach out to me. 
Mm-hmm. And then how long um, you typically are these, you know, I don't want to say, what do you, what would you call it? A class? Engagement. Uh, yeah. Engagement. Yeah. So one-on-one, I like to do um, 12 sessions once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so just one session a month and we go through like a program. Um, it's called Stepping Out of the Shadow for Successors. And then if it's um, siblings teams as well there'll be some element of one-on-ones with each of the siblings and then some group facilitated conversations and um, workshops that we do and that can take six months or up to a year like working with families is interesting because it's non-linear because it's this confluence of the personal and the business Mm -hmm. quite often personal issues can impact on business issues. Business issues can impact on personal issues. So sometimes in sessions, one unveils like trauma that needs to be addressed. And that can kind of slow down the business consulting conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to work through those or there might be unresolved conflict among siblings. And for whatever reason, they decide they don't really want to have a session this week. <laughs> right. And yeah. they need to work through some things either with myself. So I have to put on like my therapist hat or um, through with a, a specialized conflict resolution therapist. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we've all probably, we've all seen succession as well. So they have some therapy yeah. to work through before. <laughs> I mean, that is like, I mean, how would you deal with that? Right. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. That, that's a very complex. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is like, um, you know, with amongst how many siblings do you have? I've got the three of us. So I've okay. got two others. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in general, right. It's like men have for the most part grown up with team sports way more than women have. Right. Mm-hmm. And know what part of the team they're, what they're good at. Like, my son and his, I have twins, boy, girl, twins. They just turned nine. And mm. my son can sit there with his friends and, and want to be like, oh, I'm really good at this. And I'm really good at that. And I'm really good at this. It's never the same thing, right? Mm. Whereas I then am well around all the girls and it's really, they're not talking about being a team as much as like, and not really like boasting about themselves, like the boys of what I'm good at. You know what I mean? Mm. They haven't really found that kind of lane where they feel comfortable saying they're great at something without sounding like they're bragging. And at the same time, like, are just like, I can do everything. And if I don't do everything perfect, I'm mad about it, you know? And it's just this, and it's a big generalization, but you know, and it's based on my two children, but at the same time, all the data and research show that's exactly what happens, right? That's exactly what the data suggests. You know, how do you navigate between that and like, showing, you know, uh, like letting them see what their strengths are and how they could be. Um, yeah, very, very fair point you're bringing up. And as women, we've been conditioned also to be the meek, humble, um, non-braggadocious people, um, seen but not heard, not make a fuss, don't speak up, don't ask for what you want, um, don't know what you want, just be, fade into the background. It's a lot of like unlearning in the mind unhelpful thought patterns that are not serving you or serving your family right and being able to reframe and see yourself in a different light but your point on having full clarity as your personal what you bring to the table and where you fit in a team dynamic is absolutely key and interestingly I'm finishing my book at the moment and I give an analogy that 
winning teams, you know, they collaborate, they communicate, and they have clarity. And so you need to spend some time with yourself and also have like an assessment. For instance, Gallup Strengths Finder is a great one, or the Enneagram to understand who are you and where are, are your strengths. Sorry, what are those things? <laughs> so Gallup is <laughs> like personality tests. Oh, okay. I've taken some of those before with executive coaches, etc. I don't think I've taken either of those. Tell, say what those are again. Gallup. Gallup Strengths Finder. Okay. And um, the Enneagram. So Gallup Strengths looks at what are Jennifer's strengths mm-hmm. and what drives her. Mm-hmm. Um, not on a superficial level. Some people are driven by, you know, outcomes and goal oriented and they want to beast it. Some other people are driven by relational, um, are driven by long-term impact or being a visionary. Some folks are not driven at all. They just want to be the implementer. So give me the vision and I will execute everything, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really important to know what drives you to know where your good fit is. So are you the midfielder, the defense, the attacker? And so we can place you appropriately. And then we can know when we look at each of the siblings, where's the, what's our collective strength as a group? Are we all the same or do we need a different skill set? Mm-hmm right? Do we need to learn something collectively or do we need to collaborate with someone else to bring something to the fore? The Enneagram also is similar. It's a very detailed personality test. So it will tell you like, are you a people pleaser? Or (laughs) are you like, why in different scenarios do you act in certain ways? So you can really gain deep insight as to who you are. Um, So there's an element of like your core personality there's also an element of the skill set that you need so there's some cross-industry skill set that you need as an owner so the ability to read financial statements understanding strategy understanding you're a lawyer like just corporate governance high level no one's asking you to be like you know general counsel but just understanding um the levers and the architecture needed in your business and in your wealth to ensure that your interests are protected And then there's also a space for industry skills, which can be if you're next in line to be the CEO, like you're the successor, can mean like technical training, like say, for instance, construction or what have you, or may look more like building relationships, building social capital. Like I've kind of alluded to social capital is so important in um, being a business owner, having the right relationships, the reputation. So networking with folks that, you know, um, building a community, it takes time. Um, But oftentimes the founding generation have this these relationships and what have you, but the next generation haven't built these for themselves. And so it's really important to invest time in building your social capital. So, yeah. Yeah. No, you hit on so many major points that we talk about in this podcast, like, you know, with co-founders, it's like, if you're all the same, then who's doing what, you know, and like who, you know, who is, as the creative, who is the one who's talking, like you said, to the lawyers, you know, so many, co-founders get together and they don't realize it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to talk to the lawyer. I don't want to talk to the lawyer. Okay. Well, like who is somebody's got to do it, you know? And then if you're going to do it, like, 
you need a base level of understanding. It's no different exactly. than tech. Like you're going to hire somebody. You don't know if they're any good or not, unless you have a base level of understanding. So you have to do a little bit of self-education, you exactly. know, to understand if these people are good or not, because it could be way too late, you know, when you finally find that out and yeah, reading a PL and, you know, all the financials, like just have a base understanding. I've had co-founders. So I'm like, who's on your cap table? And they're like, what? Cause they have co-founders <laughs> dealing with that. I'm like, you, you can't feign ignorance. It's not okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you got to take responsibility and be I like, do. okay, I need to know too. Like everyone needs to parse out, but there's certain general understandings that everyone Indeed. needs to know and understand. Indeed. And I think we don't talk enough about this, that as an entrepreneur, you have to be a journalist. You need to know a little bit of everything. That might not be your specialism, right? Yeah. You, you might not have gone to college to study law, but you do, you can't, like you said, you can't feign ignorance. You really do have to put yourself out there, read a couple of books or go for some short trainings, a couple of days. Um, and yeah, you'll pick it up. Yeah. You just need to, yeah. I mean, it's generalist stuff, like you said, but it's really important. And to like gloss over it is, you know, and not take the time to learn these things are the things that can like really ruin a business. So it's like, there's a lot of applicability to all building businesses and like super interesting. Um, and then, so like, what do you find are the things that, you know, people are getting right and getting wrong when they're building these, these businesses and, and need mm. to like really think about? Mm. I find that people tend to focus a lot on the business side. So looking at business opportunity, opportunity to scale revenue, um, be leaner, more productive and what have you, but they tend to neglect coalescing and galvanizing the family in the process because in the here and now you're a founder of a business and you're building it out and it's doing really well but if you flash forward into 10 years from now or 15 years from now and you need to start looking at a generational handover whether to your children or to the next generation of leaders within your enterprise um have you you need runway to do so it doesn't happen overnight Mm-hmm. You need to start coalescing the family and start having collective conversations on where is this all headed? Who are we as a family? Like, what is this for? What, how are we going to get there? What are our values and what are our respective roles in where this is all headed? For, for instance, generational transition usually is either we hand over to a child we hand over to non-family staff or we sell. And each of these decisions, each of these options rather, they take long-term planning (laughs) on both the side of the incumbent letting go and also the successor grabbing on. And quite often folks think that um, the selling option absolves them of having to prepare the family and start having these conversations. But actually selling is more complex (laughs) because now you've got this bulk liquidity. What are you going to do with it? And what does that mean? Like in terms of sudden wealth is not great where you're not emotionally and mentally relationally prepared for it. Right. And also there's also like a whole load of technical stuff that come in the mix with selling a business taxes, (laughs) liquidity, structuring. um. So yeah, a lot of these these three options require long-term planning, Mm -hmm. um, long-term preparation. Yeah. Um, I read the book House of Gucci. I haven't seen the movie actually. And it's 
fascinating mm-hmm. from this perspective. Like because of what you do, if you've not read it, you should read it just for that and the Amazing. whole thing because the people who really built it were not the ones who ended up with it and mm-hmm. who really grew it. And then those, then everybody lost it ultimately. You know, there's people with a, living with that last name that have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it was started, you know, in the 1900s, like, mm-hmm. and, you know, to grow. And so um, there's so much about that. And it, and it's also at certain life stages, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe the older brother already has like grown kids and wants to retire. And then somebody else is starting out and wants to grow it more. So, you know, exactly. one wants to sell it now because it's like, I'm, I'm done and this is enough money for me. And the other's like, exactly. wait, I, you know, all of these things. And it applies to co-founders no matter what, like you get yep. in and it's like, do you want to build this into Estee Lauder and the family runs it for generations? Or do you want to like, you know, build this, sell it off and be like, later, I don't need to see it anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And in a co-founder situation, it's a little bit more complicated. It's got two different families and yeah. two leaders that have to unite. Right. 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 You might not have uniformity, but you have to have unity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. Not uniformity, unity. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've used that term before. <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> no, this is all so fascinating. Uh, um, I have a feeling you're going to get a lot of um, calls about this and emails and, and reach out because like when people are thinking about in particular women, female founded businesses and like, okay, where am I going to take this? It's like, wait, this has to be succession planning has to be part of what I'm doing, you know? Well, because it's like, what is it? The saying is like the first first generation starts at the second grows it mm. and the, the third yeah, like blows it. blows it up right <laughs> so everyone hire Nikkei and you know and then you'll know how not to do that <laughs> <laughs> so before I, I ask you how everybody can get in touch with you I always ask everybody this one question and that is as women we're often served horrible advice so what is the worst advice you've ever received hmm other than don't quit your job at Deloitte. <laughs> I think the worst advice just generally is just like an overly critical, negative outlook on me, right? As opposed right. to, I feel like as, as a person of color and as a woman, quite often our counterparts feel like they want to be like a harsher critic on us to get us to perform better and stand out right but I think that that's really doing folks a huge disservice because what it does is it completely knocks your confidence and it completely breaks you and I feel like we need more championing and support and you know positive building as opposed to being knocked down and being told about how you know as a mom you won't be able to handle ABCD because you've got your other priorities and obligations and I guess what I'm speaking to is folks being stuck in a mindset and not re-envisioning how things could be but only seeing how things have been Mm -hmm. Um, the past prototype of how women like the conversation we're having right about how women have stayed in the home and tended to certain responsibilities but that's not necessarily where I'm heading towards and how I want to navigate my life and so don't come at me with all this negativity and this heaps of Um, what feels like a burden of a past generation but instead can you come with me and see things in a new way and champion me yeah as I'm trying to come go on my journey so yeah Yeah. that's 
that's the worst advice. Yeah. No, no, no. I totally agree. It's like, I've done nothing in a traditional path. Yeah. You know, my mom didn't graduate from high school and no one went to college. I did. Not only that, I went to grad school and then I didn't get married. And then I had kids on my own. I did like nothing. I'm supposed nothing. to do. Yeah. And look at, I'm smiling. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? No, I totally agree. It's that overall thing thinking like, give you advice. We're like, okay, don't, you know, you have to be 130%. So just, you know, you probably can't yeah. do it. And you're like, yeah, no. hey, you can't do it. No, yeah. you're can't do the 130. What are you Yeah, you couldn't about? be a mom and do this, but I can. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Amazing. All right. So how do people get in touch with you? Yes. Um, on my website, www.nikkeanani.com, there I've got links to all my socials and my podcasts, and you can drop me a line. And yeah, I read every single email that comes through there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. I know that you learned a lot because I learned a lot and uh, like subscribe, let us know what else you want to hear. And until then I'm Jennifer justice. See you next time.